always get so pumped when I hear that song. So I was able to reach out to one of my favorite bands of all time, Less Than Jake, and the lead singer and songwriter, Krista Makes, and he was willing to write that for me. If you guys have never heard of Less Than Jake, they've been around for like 30 years in the punk rock scene. I friggin' love them. I've seen them numerous times live, and I just love that he was willing to do that for me. It's super cool. Anyway, guys, here's the thing. When it comes to being a firefighter, we absolutely love what it is that we do. We love it. But just because we love what we do doesn't mean we love where we're at. Now, that could mean where we're at in our career, what crew we're on, or even what organization we work for. In his book, I Love It Here, Clint Pulver talks about the elements that create an environment that people are proud to be in. He's done undercover work and asked the real questions that need to be asked when it comes to what organizational leaders are doing and what they could do in order to make you say, I love it here. His book was our reading selection for the Ignited Readers Book Club, which is focused on reading books about uh, all things that we can apply to our leadership approach, our interpersonal relationships, our personal resiliency, all of that stuff. Clint shared some great insight and perspective during our conversation, and I'm super eager to share this episode with you all. So without any further delay, here's my conversation with Mr. Clint Pulver. Mr. Clint Pulver, thank you so much for coming on the show. I was very humbled by reading your book, but even more humbled by the fact that you agreed to come on the show. So thank you. Yeah, it's an honor. Uh, thanks for reading the book. Yeah. Um, so I head up a, a, a book club, and uh, it's geared towards firefighters and uh, first responders. And uh, we pick a selection that kind of helps with either leadership or understanding of leadership or how to be a good follower. and. Uh, so this was something that was really cool that stood out to me. Uh, title of your book, I Love It Here. We, uh, we as firefighters typically love our jobs. I mean, I don't know if you'll ever meet a firefighter who hates their job. So um, it was really cool that it kind of coincided with what it is we're all about. And we wanted to learn more about how you say great leaders can create organizations their people never want to leave. So that, that was awesome, man. It was right up our alley. Yeah, it's uh, it was really neat for me because I the, the goal was not to write another leadership book written by a you know self proclaimed leadership expert. There's a, a thousand of those books made every day. Right. I wanted to write a book that was written through the eyes of the employee, especially employees in the workplace, and let them tell their story of what great leadership looked and felt like to them. Awesome. And that's why the undercover millennial program and. The premise of the book and the research behind the book is so unique. It's so different. I, I believe it's the most real and authentic data behind um, workforce retention. And again, how great leaders created organizations where people could actually thrive at work and they didn't just survive. And we see that, right. lot, unfortunately. So it was fun to do something different that really has never been done before in the world. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to just show up, punch a time card, and then leave. You want to actually like love what it is you do. So this was a great testament to that. Um, before we dive into like the undercover undercover millennial stuff, um, I want to let you know. So you made me late to church one day, my man. So I <laughs> every day, every Sunday when I'm off duty I, and I get the opportunity to go to church, um, I throw up like a church video or something going on in the background while I'm getting ready, kind of set the tone, right? And uh, your video popped up, create hope be a Mr. Jensen. And uh, man, it, uh, I just, as I was listening, as I was getting ready, I, I found myself like half tying my tie and then I just kind of stopped and I just started <laughs> watching your video, man. And it was really resonating because, uh, and it really gave me an insight as to, as to who you are as a person and what you find important. And so it really spoke to me, man. And uh, it, it it gave me a good a good excuse to be late to church, right? People are like, oh, why were you late? And I'm like, well, let me tell you why I was late. <laughs> but um, I want to post a link to that video because I think it's very impactful. But would you give us just a little little rundown of, of that story and the impact that he had on you? Yeah, in school, I was the kid that always had a hard time sitting still. Uh, I still have a hard time sitting still. <laughs> I just had a, a lot of energy. I had to move. My right hand would tap. My left hand would tap. My feet would move. And obviously, if you're sitting in a classroom and you're clicking your pen or someone's tapping their foot, it's like, 
stop. You know, that gets annoying really fast. Yeah. And I got teased. I got nicknamed. Other kids called me the twitcher. I got called the tapper. It was just constant, like, stop, hold still, hold still. And half the time, I didn't even know that I was doing it. It was just a subconscious thing that almost helped me to focus as I look back and think about, you know, why I moved, uh, especially in school, in class. And I got sent to the principal's office one day. Principal's like, what's the deal? And I just said, I have to move. And he said, well, sit on your hands. Okay. When you feel like you got to just sit on your hands. And that worked for like five minutes. And then I was back to tapping. And it happened again and again and again until one day I had a teacher and his name was Mr. Jensen. And he looked at me as I was tapping in his class and he said, young man, I need to see you after class. We're going to have a conversation. And all the other kids are like, oh man, Twitcher's going to die. <laughs> you are in trouble. You do not want to stay after class. The bell rings. Everybody leaves. It's a completely empty room minus me and Mr. Jensen. And he pulls me to the back of the room. He sits me down. He says, listen, you're not in trouble, but I you're kind of the kid that's on the list. I, you get teased. I know you get bullied. You tap and you do it a lot. You do it in my class and you do it in everybody else's class. He said, but I needed to, I needed to, I needed to speak to you, Clint, because I, I've sat back and I've watched. And he said, it's crazy. You'll take a pen and you'll start writing with your right hand and then you'll tap with your left hand. And then in the middle of the assignment, you'll switch the pen and you'll start writing with your left hand and you'll tap with your right hand. He looked at me and he said, I, I, I think you're ambidextrous. And I said, no, I, I'm Presbyterian. He said, no, no, that's not what it means. No, he said, he said, can you tap your head and rub your belly at the same time? And I gave it a go and I could do that. And he said, no, no, switch it. Can you rub your head and then tap your belly? And literally back and forth without thinking about it, I could do it. And he's, he leaned back in his chair. He looked at me and he said, I, I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. And some people listening are like, what's the difference between those two things? <laughs> um, I, I'm someone though, right? I believe in, in moments. I mean, you read the book. I, the book yeah. and the premise of the book is about that because that's what people remember. If you look at your life and what makes it a great story, it really is the moments. That's what we remember. And I believe one single moment, that's all it takes uh, to really change somebody's life. Because in that moment, Mr. Jensen, that old teacher, he leans back in his desk, opens up the top drawer, and he reached inside, and he took out my very first pair of drumsticks. Nice. And he put them in my hands, and he said, listen, I have no idea what's going to happen, but just keep them in your hands, and let's just see. That was 23 years ago, and I can sit here today and honestly tell you and everybody that's listening from you know 23 years ago, literally – to this exact day, I, I've tried my best to keep my promise to Mr. Jensen. And for 23 years, I've been a professional drummer. And I've toured and recorded all over the world, playing with some amazing artists, some amazing venues. Uh, I, my whole college education was paid for. I've been on America's Got Talent. I coached the Utah Jazz NBA drum line. I mean, I, all of these different amazing things that took place because one person decided to see an opportunity when everybody else saw a problem. And he created a moment, he designed a moment that represented potential and worth so well to the point that I saw it within myself. Man, potential and worth, that is, that is no doubt. And uh, it's incredible that he just took the time to, to see that, not only to see that, but to make you aware of it. You know, whereas some people are just trying to give you a solution to solve a, a quick problem. Like they see it as a problem and they just want to solve it real quick and move on and get on with what they're doing. But he invested time. He invested time in uh, in seeing what it was that made you unique. And boy, did it take you places. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, seeing something that no one else took the time to see, I think, is one of the themes or one of the things that could be said about your project, Undercover Millennial. So why don't you give us a little bit of insight as to what that is and how that came to be? Yeah, so five, five and a half years ago, I was a part of a mastermind group. We were in New York City, and we were meeting with other CEOs and executives, and we're talking about their business and strategy and what they've done to be successful in the crazy, fast-paced, hustle-and-bustle lifestyle of New York City. We were right in downtown Manhattan, and one of the CEOs that we met with owned a large sporting good retail chain, and we're in his store, beautiful store, 
all the sports paraphernalia that you could possibly imagine. And we're talking about his strategy and how over the years they've had to change and adapt their business strategy to meet the demands of a market that's always changing versus the way you do business now. Times There's a need for that. And so as, I, as I'm hearing him talk, I, I just was curious. I said, so what about, about your people? What about people strategy? Have you felt the, the need to change there? And he fired back and was just so, so confident in the response. And he said, no, not at all. Mm-mm, not with people. He said, this, 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 the, the way I manage people today is the same way I managed them 20 years ago. And we get results. It's pretty bold. Another very confident, profound statement. And I just, I, I, it kind of threw me off. Because he felt the need to change how he did business to the demands of a market that's changing, but not to people who definitely evolve over time because the world evolves and we change and evolve with that. Now there's core principles, there's core beliefs, there's core fundamentals. I believe that kids today are the same they were 20 years ago, but the world that that, those kids have grown up in has changed. So the dynamic and how they process what they're looking for, how, how the world works and moves in their eyes is different. And so I thank the gentleman for his time. And I said, uh, I, just thanks for talking to us. I appreciate it. I had 45 minutes to kill until we needed to be to the next place. I had nothing else better to do. So just simply out of curiosity, Ryan, I took the 45 minutes that I had and I went up and I just interviewed one of his team members, just an employee on the floor. I walked up to the first person I saw and I was wearing a hoodie like this. I had a backwards hat on. I was just a customer in the store. And I just walked up and I said, Hey, I've got a question for you. And the kid's like, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I just, I'm just curious. What's it like to work here? And the whole, the kid's whole, whole demeanor changed. And he, wow. he kind of looked around, felt like an illegal drug exchange. Yeah. He did the and, environment and he, check. And he, said, he said, he said, man, I can't stand it here. Like, I literally feel like a number. We're all just cogs in a wheel. Um, it, honestly, it's, it's just a job. And then I said, yeah. well, then why do you, why do you still work here? And he said, oh, I've already applied to three other places. As soon as I get a chance to bounce, I'm gone. I'm out. And I thought, wow, you know, what, what a different response. But I thought maybe the kid just is having a bad day. So I went and asked another employee and another and another Man. and another. And in the 45 minutes, I had interviewed six of his team members. Out of those six conversations, at the end of them, five out of the six of his employees said they would not be working for that guy in his store in less than three and a half months. Wow. And that was the light bulb moment for me where I saw really an opportunity where the manager, the leader didn't even see that there was a problem. Right. And that was really the, the, the concept that the perception of leadership versus the reality of the employee experience is usually night and day different because there's no incentive for an employee to walk up to you and tell you how they really think, to tell you what they really feel, especially when it comes to you as the leader. I mean, could you imagine, Ryan, if, if somebody on, on, the, on the fire staff, uh, the crew, like walked up to the crew chief and said, hey, I just want you to know something. I think this could help you. Um, every time we win as a team, you take all the credit. Oh, and I also want you to know that every time we lose as a team, you, you blame everybody else. Right. Happy Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't say that. We don't say yeah. that. Like, who does that? Instead, yeah. people just leave. They leave or they mentally check out and stay. And again, I, I created, because of this movement, we were able to create an environment where employees would speak their truth. They would tell me because I wasn't a survey. I wasn't a manager. I was just a potential hire. And that's how we changed the Undercover Millennial Program. We worked with hundreds of organizations, interviewed thousands of employees. And I would go in as someone who was looking for a job. And I'd just say, hey, I'm just looking for work. You know, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about becoming a firefighter. You know, what's it like to work here at the station? Yeah, boy, that and would then, be and then we, pretty incredible. Yeah, <laughs> we just listen. And they would tell me everything. And uh, it was really cool to see. Uh, again, not the negative responses. There's plenty of those. The magic quickly became relevant for me in my research when I would go up to a fire station, for example, and I'd walk in and say, hey, what's it like? And every single firefighter would say, I love it here. It's my family. These, these, these are, these are my, I, I'll, I'll never leave. This is where I want to be. Why? 
What was that crew chief doing? What, what were the leaders do? What were they doing in that environment to create an atmosphere where people never wanted to leave? They liked themselves best when they were at work. What a concept. Yeah. Yeah. What a concept, man. Because uh, I mean, so many people identify who they are in, in what they do for a living. And I know that those people like you had mentioned who were looking for the next job, uh, they don't feel that. They don't feel that connection. But, um, but we, I mean, inherently as firefighters, we, we do feel that connection. But it's interesting because we might be a part of a, uh, an organization as a whole. Um, like I'm in the Phoenix area. So let's say you, know, you have the Phoenix Fire Department um, and you have you know, 80 plus different stations all with three different captains over a three shift uh, rotation. So that right there to me is like the, the identification of separate entities within that whole or organization as a whole. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like we have our captains and our crews and if I don't like working for that captain or with that crew or with that company, you know, one could say, then I could bid to a different crew. Mm-hmm. And and that's exactly what happens, man. It's the same exact thing, Clint. Like we we operate with these crews and we're like, oh man, I'm just not feeling it here. And so I'm out. I'm going to go find a different one. Yeah. But how incredible is it that, you know, you're helping these companies and, and these, these organizational leaders are actually being willing to take that feedback and put it into play so that they can be the identifiable um, ideal leader that that person is looking for that's 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 saying a lot yeah it is and i i have to um uh, applaud the leaders that that were open to that you know because most leaders aren't right for a leader to to be willing to say like yeah i would love to hear honestly what people think of my leadership that takes some guts that takes vulnerability that takes you know it's that, that there's some honest conversations that were had there but again, that, that's the dirtiness and the, the non-glorified side of leadership that most people never talk about. Right. But that, that's, that's what it's about. Like that, because every leader, every leader needs to understand this. Every person that you lead, they're always asking you this question as the leader. Let me know when your leadership gets to the part about me. Let me, let me know when your agenda and let me know when your, your strategy, your vision, your mission statement, let me know when your rules, let me know when all of that gets to the part about me. And sometimes leaders hear that and they think, well, those entitled little shining stars in my life, <laughs> right. well, let me know when it gets to the part about me. Yeah. But I would say it's not about entitlement. It's about good leadership. It's about bringing humanity back into the fire station. It's yeah, about yeah. bringing that sense, that ownership, that, that collaboration, the connection, because no significant loyalty will ever happen without significant connection. And when you connect with, with a human being, when you connect with an employee, when you connect with a team member in a way that's relevant to them, that matters to them, their ideas, their potential, their work, their possibilities, how they can provide for their family, how they feel a sense of purpose, how they feel passion at work. When you get there, that's when you're making the deposits of trust. And when we make those deposits of trust, that's what allows us as a leader to then make the withdrawals because leadership is not just about loving people and caring for people. As a leader, you still have to have standards. You have to have vision. You have to have safety. You have to have regulation. You have to have order. That's important. When we have too much chaos, it's crazy. When there's too much order, you become Nazi Germany. It's, it's a balance. It's a balance between connection and standards. And when you're high on both of those, it creates the greatest atmosphere for respect. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, man, that's, that's huge. It's huge. I mean, we, we talk about being a family in the fire service and if we didn't have that connection, then I don't really see much of what would separate us from, you know, other careers, Correct. other, other, other organizations, if not, you know, other mentalities. But uh, it is so interesting that uh, what you experienced with, with Mr. Jensen, what you experienced with Undercover Millennial, it all comes down to being willing to ask those questions, mm-hmm. being willing to take a moment and that just by asking someone what they think, I, I, 
I mean, the ramifications are huge. I mean, it ultimately has helped you build Undercover Millennial and, and what it is you do and the, the values and the principles that you share. It's just absolutely incredible. Um, what's it been like to, to ask those questions? And I mean, you have the negative answers, you have the positive answers, but isn't it like, what can you tell us about how just by opening up and, and being interested in asking those people what they think, how does that build the connection with you? Yeah, the, 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 the coolest part about the research was after I did, you know, a couple, couple thousand individuals undercover, and I started to find these moments, these organizations, these companies, these, the, these associations where people, the majority of people that worked there responded with this phrase, I love it here. I love my job. I love my job. And then as I started to dig further to see why, all of a sudden, there was these principles that trended, these principles that were universal to where now, Ryan, I can literally go in undercover. I'm going undercover into an organization this week. And I'm going to go in and we're going to find a few people that are going to say, I love it here. I, I, I know. I can tell, like, without even diving in, and, and deeper, I know why they love it. I can, I can, and, and they'll tell me, they'll tell me why. Yeah. And it always goes back to the same thing. And that's what I wrote about in the book, because after doing this thousands and thousands and thousands of times, I just, there was these innate principles that were always universally true with every person that said that. And I said, man, what if you could take this, we could put it into a book and it created a formula of these simple, actionable ideas that if leaders just kept at the forefront of their mind, if they tried to exude this, that in a, in a very general but yet intimate way, you would create that connection. You would create a workplace that people would actually feel significant at, uh, that they would love. And, and that's what was so fun to write about. And, and to know that what we're, we've written in the book, what the book talks about, is proven time and time and time again. If a leader does those things, they will. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if you're black, white. You're, you live in Latin America. You live in Europe. You live in New York City. They're universal principles that will work. And uh, that that was the most fun of of all of the writing of all of the research. Yeah, people are people, man. Any part of the world. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when it all comes down to it, we value basically the same things. You mentioned uh, those principles, packaging them up, talking about them. I agree, man. I think that identifying those principles and basing your actions off of them is what's going to create that consistency, which is what's going to build trust. And then you can move forward from there. All the other kind of uh, just BS, I guess you could say, could just fall away. You yeah. know, if you're focused on those principles, focused on that, holding to that standard. Um, Real quick, I have a story. So I have a buddy who also works for the fire service and he was on a committee where they were looking for a new fire chief. And uh, so I asked him, okay, well, what, uh, what's your strategy going in when uh, in this committee? What are you, what are you looking for? And he's like, well, we want to make sure that, you know, his values line up with our core values and moving forward, we have a good vision for where we're going. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. This sounds great. And I'm like, so what are your organizational core values? And he just looks at me and he, I could tell that I had him like, he wasn't ready for that. He just kind of blinks and he's like, you know what? I do not know. I do not know what our core values are. And I was like, well, how can you attempt to find a chief or a person that would fit in your organization based on your core values? If you don't know what those core values are. And he's like, that's a good question. It's like, I guess we got some work to do, but yeah. your uh, chapter six talks all about core values and I love it. I love it because the, the power of simple values and, and you dropped a statistic that revealed that roughly 87% and my story kind of supports this 87% of employees can't recite their organization's core values, mission statement or purpose. And you talked about if the members of your team can't translate that knowledge into action, it means nothing. Totally. And I totally agree. Yep, it's just some pretty piece of paper that you hand out at employee orientation. 
and you talk about twice a year. <laughs> yeah. And that literally is how it is for many organizations. But I also saw when an organization simplified it, kept it relatable, and then every decision they made in that organization came back to those core principles. Mm-hmm. Like I talk about weave in the book that it was, we're, we're hungry, we're creative and we're caring. Those were the three core principles and every decision, every meeting, it focused around that. So, Hey, we want to throw a company Christmas party. Cool. So how can we get creative? How can we make sure that people feel cared for and how can we get hungry about this? How can we tackle this and make this happen? Like every decision revolved around that. Every action moved and grooved with that. I tell every leader, if you were to hand out a three by five card to every one of your team members right now and ask them, what do we stand for as an organization? Or what's our mission? What's our goal? Like, what do we, what do we live for? Could they, could they even write down a response? And second, would it be accurate? How many of them would write the same thing? And I think it's a great exercise, but it's a great test of how do, how do we keep this simple, but also how do we make it memorable? Yeah, meaningful, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and again, if it's, if it's a centerpiece to what we want to do and be, then is it really what we're doing and being and becoming every day? How do we implement that? And I think it's an important principle, and I saw it used effectively, and man, when it was used in that way, it was amazing to see how it unified a collective whole uh, to become more efficient, profitable, uh, in, engaging, connected. Uh, because it was simple and measurable. Yeah, agreed, man. And what gets measured gets improved, right? I mean, you can't uh, you can't base your improvements off anything if you don't have a baseline. Yep. And if you're his, and I've always told people too, if you're facing in the right direction, all you have to do is keep walking. But most people have no idea what that direction is. Right. But yet, then we sit there as a leader and we expect people to walk. Yeah, walk and move. crack the whip. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's yeah, it's just. It's kind of a chaotic principle when you think about it, but it's so beautiful when you simplify it and make it <clears throat> a little bit memorable. Yeah, you brought up a good point. You know, could they even write it down? Would it be accurate? And then what the question that popped into my head, and you actually said it, was would it look the same as someone else's? People who have been working for the same company, let's say for like 10 years or even 20 years, yeah. would that list of values or would that vision look the same across the board or would people have completely different, you know, completely different directions or opinions or perspectives on what it is. So there's that lack of alignment, you know, without identifying those principles, you have that complete lack of alignment. Yeah. Um, there, there are some of those people who would just like pick some words that they think sound good. And like you said, then it just becomes something on a poster, you know, something on a poster that we can kind of, recite sometimes um but you had talked about in the book about how there were companies that wanted to really base those core values not just pick fancy you know fluff words but identify what it was that they were already valuing things that they were already holding dear and then like let's double down on those things totally yeah i I think it because again it's it we've got to get to the part about them get to the part about them yeah. And, and most yeah. people don't really know how to get to the part about them. It's one thing, you know, I'm always so careful when I talk about these leadership principles. We talk about like what needs to be achieved, but sometimes we don't talk about how to achieve it. Like we talk about engagement, connection, loyalty, thriving. We talk about yes. all these great ideals, but that, like how do you do that? And, I, and that was really a big emphasis for me in the book. I didn't want to write a book that just talked about problems or a book that just talked about grand ideas. Right. I wanted a book that really more so focused on solutions, but then created the path on how to achieve that. And that's why in the book, there's kind of the mastering your moment section. Like these are things you could do that will help you to apply this principle. These are actionable ideas that will help you to achieve this. So for example, one of the things that we talk about is the power of a status interview it's really, really important, and you'll know this being in the firefighting world. Every, every, every patient, every human that you see, every, every person you, you rescue, or all, all humans have vital signs. 
uh, your heart rate, respiratory rate, body temperature, blood pressure. Those four vital signs really determine whether you're alive or not. Right. <laughs> and when you look at somebody on site and they're in a tough condition, you're checking their vital signs because the vitals will determine how you treat that patient, <clears throat> how you treat that, that individual. And so I worked in the medical field for a long time. We would go into the OR and it was interesting to see that after they would check the vitals, they would treat the patient. And then after they treated the patient, what do you do? You recheck the vitals. And we continue that until healthy stability is maintained. So one thing that I recommend and one thing that I saw great leaders do consistently was, I call it a status interview, where they would create a moment with an individual. So say you're a captain, you've got your, your crew. How cool would it be if you called Ryan and you, you sat Ryan down and, and first off in the meeting, you started with vocal praise because Ryan, you're a great firefighter. Like everybody loves you. We need you on the crew. We want you to stay here. I, I need you. You are, you're an intricate part of the team. And he sat down and he told you that. And he said, listen, I just, I need you to know how, how, how important you are. I need you to know what you mean to the team. And then I would recommend he asks you three, these three questions. Number one, Ryan, what can we do? as a crew to keep you here. Question number two, what's getting in the way of your success on this team? And question number three, what can I do as your captain to help you get there? Three incredibly simple, but immensely valuable questions that unfortunately, 99.9% of all employees are never asked those questions. And when they are asked those questions, it's usually in the exit interview when an employee yeah. is leaving. And yeah, it's, it's like reflective. Employee. What could we have done? Yeah. 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 Let us know. Like, how could we have been better? And, it, and then it dawns on everybody. Yeah. We should have asked these questions six months ago. Sooner. Yeah. 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 So, so there's a little how to, you know, in this, in this podcast, on this episode, there's something that every great leader could do right now that you could take your rock stars, your great employees that you just can't lose. Like if they left tomorrow, it would put you in a hard spot, create a moment like Mr. Jensen did with me, bring them in, create a safe environment, praise them, let them know what you see, let them know how valuable they are to the organization, and then ask them those three questions. And I think too, sometimes Ryan leaders are afraid to ask those questions like your captain might be afraid to ask you that question because maybe you'll say, well, yeah, I'd, I'd like a 20% increase in pay. Right. I want two more days off a week. I want a better schedule. I, I want this, like, the, and, and maybe he can't do that. But here's the thing. It creates an opportunity to look for variables. Right. Maybe, maybe he can't. Maybe it's not in the budget. There is no ability to give you a 20% increase in, in pay. But maybe there's an option of how we can make that possible. Or maybe, you know what, we can't give you a little more money, but maybe we can work on helping you on your schedule. Like it gives an opportunity to create a dialogue that, that maybe that employee probably wouldn't have had with you otherwise. Right. And here's the thing. If at the end of the day, Ryan, you and your captain can't find an agreement, my goodness, at least he asked. Right. At least he asked you. Yeah. And uh, as simple as it is, I love that phrase of if you feed a man a fish, mm -hmm. then you only feed him for a day. But if you can teach him, how to fish, then oh, you feed him for a lifetime. Every time I hear that darn story, I think to myself, who said the guy wanted a fish? <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of funny. Why can't but like, we go hunt a deer? Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe the dude <laughs> just wants some chicken, you know, maybe he wants a steak. You don't know. You don't know yeah. as the leader. So you only know if you ask. That's right. You got yeah. it. Amen to that. Um, it's true, man. It's true. And then I, I heard a, I, I heard a talk and it was about that same principle. Like, you know, if you teach a man to fish, feed him for a day, teach him or give a man a fish, feed him for the day, teach him to fish, feed him for his lifetime. But then he also talked about how you teach, you feed the rest of his posterity as well. So like those principles continue on. They just, they just continue on as we, as we practice them, as we put them into play. Um, well, and you bring up a really great point, Ryan, because I've learned too that, my goodness, if we could create a better workplace where people are seen, they're heard, they're understood, they feel a sense of passion, purpose, they have the ability to provide for their family, guess what happens? 
those individuals go home and they're better, they're better moms. Oh yeah. They're also better dads. They're better spouses. They're better, better community members, better church members. Like it's amazing how much power your work environment, your job has on all the other aspects in your life. Yeah. And that's why I, I really, it was such a beautiful, passionate thing to write about and to create. Because, man, if people can just say, I love it here, most of the time at work, that's a pretty good indication that they can say, I love it here, probably in other places as well. It sets them up to have more success outside of work. True. And, and things that I believe are more important than work. Things yeah. like family and relationships and being a parent and being a good spouse. Like, man, that that's that's what it's about. And work is a great foundation to set people up to do that better. 100% agree. Yeah, if they can if they can master that template in that environment, then they're just starting to think in that template across the board like you said that's awesome. Um and you talked about how in the status interview, you know, you you go in, you just simply give somebody praise, like let them know how good of a job they're doing, let them know that they're valued. Um and you talked about you made mention of some examples like, well I want to raise. Well I want, you know, I want this better working condition, or I want paid for this holiday or whatever it is. And as the leader, like you said, you might not be able to offer them that right then, but a it opens up the possibility for conversation mm-hmm. and B it has an, you open up an opportunity for clarity, which is huge. And then C why not as the leader, you look at that person and be like, Hey, I understand these are your concerns why don't you get more involved in the union? Here's the number to the local vice president or, you know, why don't you get involved with this staffing committee who I know would love to hear what you have to say about this. And I feel like you specifically could have an impact in this thing. And I think like you were talking about, it just sets that template. It just sets the stage for that purpose. And not only that, but that action. And, and to me, this, this is a perfect segue into like the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, because this whole movement, this, this whole ignited movement that I'm trying to, to get going here is all about ownership. It's all about taking action based on systems of accountability to take that ownership. And in chapter seven, you hit hard on ownership. I think that's the title of the chapter. Um, and it really spoke to me because of those reasons. But you did share a story. I thought this was really cool. And, and I'd actually heard this before. I'm a huge fan of, of uh, JFK. But you had shared a story about uh, the time that he visited NASA. So would you go ahead and share that story with us about that time he visited NASA and he spoke to that, uh, the worker who... Yeah, yeah. Back in back in the day, obviously, when you know the, the United States is the race to the moon between the Russians and it was the big deal. It was the talk of the town. It was the talk of the country and this concept of man going to space and JFK goes to visit NASA, goes to visit the the facility to see what's going on. And as he's walking around, there's, there's a janitor that's sitting there and he's, he's just cleaning, he's cleaning the floor. And uh, JFK takes a minute, goes over to the man and says, sir, it's nice to meet you. He said, what, 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 what what do you do here? And he said, well, I'm, I'm helping to put a a man on the moon, sir. And it was like this profound, simple moment. And Dave K talked about it, that he was not a janitor. He was helping to do something bigger than himself. There was another uh, story that I saw in my undercover research. I worked at, I did undercover work in a school and there was a school that struggled to have, to keep janitorial staff in an elementary school. I mean, could you imagine like yeah. cleaning up being a janitor in elementary school? Like, right. Oh, it, it's hard. And she was struggling as a principal to find good, good janitors. She'd hire someone, get them trained. They'd leave three months. They'd leave three weeks later. She just couldn't keep anybody. And she decided to create a moment. She decided to create a sense of ownership. She also knew that she needed to bring people into the story to show them the story that they're not just a janitor, but there's something bigger. This one janitor had been there for six months, a great gentleman, older, had done a good job. And she decided to create a moment and she went around to every class and she asked all of the children 
to write a note acknowledging the janitor for something that he had done for them. Something that had meant something to them. And three days later, she went and she gathered up all of the notes, all of the beautiful little cards. And she walked into the janitorial closet, into the little office that he had. And she took this big basket and she set it on his desk. And she looked at him and she said, I just want you to know that you're more than a janitor at this school. And that janitor, he sat there and note after note after note, he just weeped and weeped and weeped because he found out that he all of a sudden became a protector. He was a friend. He was a listener. He was, he was, he was a helpful hand. He was a smiling face. He was someone who delivered hope and it changed the story. And uh, I think we have the opportunity to do that every day, whether it's the titles that we give our employees whether it's the, the story that we choose to bring them in to, whether it's the things that we showcase that they have the opportunity to do that's significant in their job, not just successful. How do you show them that what they do is significant, not just for a paycheck? How do we tell that story? And when you help people to remember that and to truly feel that, oh man, it, it's, it's so powerful. Yeah, not only life changing, but uh, it could change the course of history. Absolutely, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, just I love stories like that, man. They really speak to me, and it really just emphasizes that whole idea of of taking ownership. And yeah, there's a lot that rests on you as an individual to take ownership of the situation. But at the same time, when it comes to to being a leader, helping others understand that they already have instilled that ownership simply by who they are. That I think speaks volumes. Well, we need to remember too, that as a leader, you have the opportunity to take ownership of your people. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's, you know, this, this focus of, well, we got to give the employee ownership. So they feel like they own something within the company, but also there's that sense of you, you have responsibility and ownership of your people. I talk yeah. about in one of the, the latter chapters in the book about Frank, the tire store manager. Oh yeah, and that was one of the most beautiful things. He he, I, I walked in. I did this undercover research, and everybody talked about Frank. They all loved Frank. Frank was like a father. Frank was was just this legend, a mentor. I talk about mentorship versus management. Yeah, and I noticed that every 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 different tire tech on their station, there was a picture, small little picture frame, and then I noticed that in Frank's office. There was a big cork board with all of the same pictures. And Frank was one of those individuals that understood the power of a status interview and knowing what his people wanted, getting to the part about them. And I looked up there and there was a, a picture of a boat and there was a picture of a beach and there was a picture of a baby. And he said, yeah, that's Tyler and, and Jessica. They're trying to get pregnant. So we're trying to do a little bit, a little bit something more for him as a team so we can get Tyler and his wife a little extra money so they can help with infertility issues. Johnny really wants a boat, so we're doing some extra stuff there. There's a picture of the tire store. He said, Jeremy really wants to own his own franchise. So we're making some extra, some extra opportunities for him to learn about the management side of this business. And he said, I need, to, I need to make sure that they know that what matters to them matters to me. And he took ownership of that. And it was just a beautiful display, a beautiful visual determination, a, 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 a beautiful display that, that uh, he took ownership of, of what mattered to them. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget just and the loyalty that he had by getting to the part about his people, owning their lives in a way that, that mattered to him. I, I take responsibility for a part of that. It was yeah. it meant something to people. He was an advocate, not just a boss. Cool. Yeah, and they become family. You know, they become brothers and sisters. Absolutely. That creates the environment where you ultimately say things like, "I love it here." <laughs> you know, and that's and, what people talked about, right? Like, no, yeah. no, no, no employee ever in the thousands that I've interviewed, 
I never once have gone up to an employee undercover and said, hey, why do you work here? And I've never had an employee say, you know, I just, uh, I, I stay, I stay at this, 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 this station because man, our managers, our, our, our captain, he's so good at time management. He's just amazing <laughs> at it. Like he's so effective. Yeah. I, I've never had anybody say, you know, I just, I work here because our, our quarterly projections every year are just amazing. And our, our growth projections, it, it just, it's astounding how much we sell, how much product we sell. <laughs> Nobody says that. Yeah. When they talk about why they work, they talk about the relationships, the family, the trust, the advocacy, the moments. They always talk about the moments. If I asked you, why do you stay at the station that you're currently at? You would tell me about the moments that you shared with your brothers. You would share the moments of, of advocacy. You'd share the moments of potential and worth that's been communicated. You talk about passion, purpose, all the intangibles. We don't talk about the tangible. We talk about the intangible. And sometimes as leaders, that's hard to focus on because you can't measure that. You can't always see it. But to your people, it's the only thing they remember. It's the only thing they treasure. Absolutely. Ultimately, it's the only thing that matters, right? No matter what, what job you, you're in, what organization you work for, ultimately it comes down to that. Um, you talked about caring for your people, how, how you can take ownership at any level, any level. Um, and in the book, you say, when you're a mentor, your job is to connect your people to their dreams, whether within the company or outside of it. And I think that's very profound in the fact that like the focus then shifts, not from how can I get more from you as an employee, but to, I care about you as the individual you. Yep. Yep. And again, it's the deposits of trust. And when you make those, when you get to the part about them and they realize, and you break through this mold of boss and employee relationship, and it becomes mentor and mentee relationship. That is when everything switches because when you have achieved that, that, that position in their mind, that's why I call it mentorship, not leadership. Right. I like mentorship a lot more because mentorship has to be earned. Yep. Like we give titles, leadership titles all the time. You're the captain, you're the crew chief, you're, you're, you're whatever. We get positions, but the team will decide if you're a mentor because that has to be earned. You can't just give that to somebody. And so when you earn that, then it opens up a whole new window of dialogue. It opens up this whole new element and window of a relationship that, that we can give and take. I can come to you, Ryan, if you view me as a mentor, I can come to you and I can have a, co a hard conversation because I've earned it. I've earned it. I've made the deposits of trust so I can make a few withdrawals. Right. And that's coming from a safe spot because again, my whole job is to advocate for you. Right. And I believe that when I do that enough for you, we create this relationship where you'll want, you'll want to do the same for me. I mean, the mentors I've had in my life, I'd run through walls for them. They'd ask me to jump. I'd say how high. Cause it was just this sense of loyalty that they created because I knew they were the person that would connect me to something bigger. And I did like myself best because I was with them. And, and, I was able to have hard conversations. I was able to, to get feedback. I was able to, and here's the thing too, if you try to achieve that and sometimes it's not going to work with people, they're not going to give that to you or you haven't earned that with them or it's just not going to work. Uh, and that's where, again, sometimes people need to be fired or sometimes people need to move on or we need yeah. to find a better place or a better situation for you and a better situation for the other person. So I always have to be careful because some people are like, well, well, what if it's just not working? Then, then obviously sometimes people need to be fired. Yeah. Some people need to move on. But again, I'm talking about those opportunities where we as a leader could change. We could do a little bit more to increase the effectiveness of good people that we believe in. We want a part of our organization. You hired them for a reason. They had those qualities that meant something. So let's work to bring, to bring out the best in that person. Awesome, man. Well, on that note, I can't thank you enough for coming on the Ignited Firefighter podcast, my friend. This has been really great. Uh, I really appreciated your book. I'm not currently in, in a, a spot for leadership yet, but I'm working on getting there. And uh, I honestly feel like the, the principles that you lay out, they're very basic. They're easy to put into play. 
Um, I loved the mastering your moments section because it's, it's that call to action. You know, we can read books all day long, but uh, if we don't, if we don't take actionable steps, it ultimately doesn't mean much. So thanks again for coming on. I want to give you a chance to let people know where they can find you, where they can connect with you. Yeah, you can find me at clintpulver.com is the website. And then all the social media channels I'm also on and involved in. Right on. Awesome, man. I'll post links to your website. I also want them to have a link to the, your story about Mr. Jensen. It was very heartfelt, very well put together. So congrats on that, buddy. Um, cool. Well, we'll be in touch, man. I'll let you get back to doing what you do and uh, we'll keep in touch. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Means a lot. Thanks, buddy. Man, Clint is such a high caliber, insightful guy. Super insightful. Um, and you know, he's he's done the work. He's done the grassroots work. So he's not just talking nonsense here. Like he's done the work, he's put it in, and this is his product. Um, I, I was absolutely so honored to speak with Clint today. He's really passionate about what he does. I know that translated to you because I know you guys can hear it. I've got links to his website as well as the video he produced telling the story about Mr. Jensen. Guys, watch that video. It's so good. It's so good. It'll touch your heart. Thanks again for listening to the Ignited Firefighter podcast, you guys. The Ignited community is growing in leaps and bounds, and we can't grow without your help. So as we go through these episodes, as I have these conversations, I'm asking you to share your perspective. Share these episodes with someone that you might think could benefit from them. You know, we talk about a lot of different insights, a lot of different perspectives, tools, tricks, tips, all of that stuff. Um, when it comes to the fire service, being active on duty, I mean, it, it's just everything that I can pool and help support this community, that's what I'm trying to do. So please share it, guys. When it comes to physical fitness, mental health, professional aptitude, all of it. And shoot me a message if you want. If you want to hear my thoughts on any of those topics or if you want me to find a specific author or speaker or person to come on the show, let me know. Shoot me a message and I'll reach out to them. Thanks again for listening, you guys. And until next time, if you see a need, own it and take action. Be the ideal firefighter you would want on your crew. Be ignited.